Hello, everybody, and welcome to Galactic Yo-Yo, the podcast where Doctor Who fans share their unpopular opinions with the world. And I have to do with them. I'm your host, Molly Marsh. And I'm just in my bedroom uh, at the end of uh, a working day, uh, in that weird uh, part of the day where the working day has ended and the evening has begun. But because your work, because our workplaces now are the same thing as our homes, you feel a little bit like you've still got all this kind of pent up working energy. Um, so I'm trying to dispel it by recording this intro uh, and then putting out the podcast. Um, I should apologise because I've gone a bit... So the last podcast I put out a day late and I've gone a little bit quiet on my podcast Twitter as well and actually even on my personal Twitter. So, so I'm sorry about that. Not that really many people noticed. Um, I will try to be more active um, in the future because um, I realised that I've gone off the radar slightly. Um, so I'm putting out this podcast and then another one and then I'll probably take a break for a period of uh, a month or two before I make any more. Um, because I'm moving house and stuff. Um, so I'll need a little bit of time to reconfigure my podcast setup and stuff. Um, but anyway, this week on the podcast, um, I spoke to Verity Ritchie, um, YouTuber, video essay maker, writer, artist. Um, I actually spoke to her, uh, two weeks ago, more than two weeks ago now, um, and it was great to speak to her because I've been watching her videos since since about 2013. So I, I, I honestly don't know why I never tried to um, reach out to to her sooner. But anyway, as soon as I did, um, she said she was up for it. So I was really chuffed with that. And we got to have a conversation about um, her videos and her and how she became a Doctor Who fan and all of that. But also her unpopular opinion that the Doctor is transgender. This is a topic that has obviously come up um, on innumerable occasions on my podcast, but we've never wrestled with it as an unpopular opinion before. Um, so it was really um, fun to dig into that, especially because um, she and I are both trans. So and we kind of had differing but parallel perspectives on the on the matter. So that was that was cool, and I welcome the opinions of of other people trans or otherwise um, on the topic if anyone's got any thoughts after listening to this podcast conversation but I'm sure all you want to do now is listen to the podcast conversation because I've been nattering um, for a while so without further ado please enjoy the penultimate episode of this series blimey I was I'm recording my podcast intro thank you good grief Please enjoy my penultimate podcast of the current run, my conversation with Verity Ritchie. It seems that I'm some kind of a galactic yo
Um, okay, I'm just going to put my lamp on so I'm not sitting in the dark. Oh, no. oh actually, and, um, yeah, you've you've given you've inspired me to go and um to go and and turn the ambient lights on rather than the the big lights. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do that now. But I'll be right back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, that's much better. That's that's much moodier. Yeah. Um, I'm so I'm so grateful that you um were able to do this. I I can't believe I never contacted you sooner. Um it's it's so great to be able to talk to you you were the one of the first um kind of doctor who content creators if we're going to use a, a a phrase like that that i that i ever came across um kind of oh, sort of seven or eight years ago so i'm really chuffed to, to get to be able to speak to you oh wow that's crazy that's awesome so to, well, to... <laughs> for... thanks for having me no that's problem <laughs> For for those people who haven't come across your kind of YouTube stuff or your or your uh, your writing more widely and or your art, um, could you kind of give an impression of what you do, not just on your Doctor Who channel, but across both of your YouTube channels? Um, what do I do? I um, I I I I make YouTube videos, but like I. <laughs> I feel like I've never really taken YouTube very seriously before very recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been I've been on YouTube for about 10 years and I have a, a main channel that's about um, well, it, it it's it's really just about what interests me, but it ends up focusing on like bisexuality and trans issues and feminism. Um, and then I have a, a second channel which is specifically about Doctor Who and I've had them both for about a decade. Um, I think over a decade um, and it was always just sort of a fun hobby but I've started to take my my main channel more seriously recently um, just this year um, and it's been very recently just started blowing up quite a lot um, and I and I'm I do now nowadays I do video essays um, most of my video essays are about um, LGBT issues specifically um, although my last one was about Spider-Man, so I don't know. Um, I, I yeah, your content changed quite a lot. You know, thinking back, <laughs> yeah. to, thinking back a little while ago, it was a lot of kind of you doing these sort of five-minute pieces to camera, and now it tends to be this more long-form video essay content, which I guess is consistent with trends on YouTube in general, isn't it? Yes, and I mean, for me, it was the realization of how often I am wrong. And mm, the mm. desire to stop being wrong, because <laughs> I have really yeah. bad anxiety. And like, if someone if someone points out, "Hey, you're wrong about this thing," then I just like I just feel like I deserve to die. <laughs> and so I decided to stop being wrong about things and stop just like winging it, facing the camera, and just doing things. Because I used to do it on a whim, and it was it, I'd get in a mood and I'd just be excited. I'd just be like, you know what? I'm just going to turn the camera on. I'd just stand in front of the camera and just talk for, sure. for five five to ten minutes. And it's yeah. So this year, I sort of figured, you know, why not write a script? Like put the mm. effort into writing a script, get sources, back up everything you have to say, and then you won't have to worry about being wrong, and you can still enjoy YouTube. So um, and still enjoy being on the internet in general. Um, so, and, and also I, I sort of, I, I, I spend, or I used to spend a really unhealthy amount of time on Tumblr and, and arguing with people, um, which is just a horrible thing for anyone's mental health, I think. But, um, but I, I also realized that I was, it's just not enough to, to 
make a convincing argument briefly, like in a Twitter soundbite or something, you know, the, the, the Twitter sure. has sound, but like to, to do something that, uh, like if, if you can make a video essay, if you can talk for 20 minutes with citations um, and prove your point, then you might actually be able to convince someone of something. Um, also, there's sort of, there's the element of, making it fun and enjoyable that you can that you can bring to it on youtube so you can make you can make anything fun and i i think like um i sometimes will make videos and think god no one's gonna want to watch this i've lost my mind and then people will still enjoy it even if they don't know what the hell i'm talking about and um and then by the end they feel like they've learned something and yeah so so yeah it, it changed when i sort of decided that's i just think it's a better way to be on the internet <laughs> I guess I've got two questions about your um, your uh, more recent YouTube stuff, and the first is kind of in response to what you said about um, about the fear of being wrong. Because I, I guess my feeling is that you can you can do all of the research and you can back up your claims with evidence and you can uh, you can turn over every stone, but inevitably there will be times where you do make mistakes and you are inaccurate and how do you deal with that and my second question is with videos that are and content that is so um thoroughly researched when when is the point that you have to tell yourself okay i stop now and this is the this is my 25 minutes and i th this is my remit now and i'm i'm going to put it out mm -hmm. um okay um well for the first question um i how do, how do I deal with like being wrong on the internet? I don't deal well with it at all. Um, and I've, I, I have a very funny mistake that I made recently where in a video about the history of the word bisexual, um, I talk about how in, in the 1800s, there was this idea that like that humans or even earlier than that, really, there's, there's always been this idea that humans may have been sort of one androgynous uh sex at some point we were we were just a single sex and we became two sexes in in various mythologies and also um in some weird um like a victorian reasonings and to do with all sorts of crap but anyway um i i said i said in the video and that i said something like and that may and it turns out now that may have been true for species or something like that. And I put it vaguely enough that I, I meant all species, meaning our like proto, like single cell or organism, like where we all came from the primordial ooze, you know, right, got you. Um, we, we probably billions of years ago were just a single sexed organism. We weren't two sexes. That's what I meant, but I phrased it so poorly that someone in the comments thought that I meant Homo sapiens all were <laughs> were a single sex to begin with, which is a ri ridiculous, <laughs> just really ridiculous idea. But but I I think I it never occurred to me that someone would mi could misinterpret what I said to the point where they would think that like mm. we were a particular species of ape that were only one sex got you um and i feel awful about it and i and in the comments i i, I was like oh no and i explained myself and i'm just like i just want to delete the video now because i just i mean and it's i think it's a good video and people tend to enjoy it but like 
I feel so stupid that I said something that misled anyone and I hate it. I, I don't, I don't deal very well with that. And the thing about YouTube, if you have a, if you have a blog, even if it's Tumblr or something um, or WordPress, you, you can correct yourself. You make a mistake. Yeah. You just, you can correct, you can correct your mistake. Um, and on YouTube, you can't ever. There's just, they used to have like an annotations feature where um, if you, if you said something stupid in the middle, yes, you, you could, could put, put one of those box. little grey rectangles over stuff, couldn't you? Yeah, and be like, I was stupid here, this is wrong. And now you can't do that anymore. So once the descriptions, up, your friend, to an extent, right? Yeah, but you want, like, really, does anyone read the description? Like, I, I want people to, to like, see it live and yeah, see yeah. the correction live. Um, and, yeah, you don't have that opportunity. And it's really frustrating because... You you can delete and re-upload things, but it loses like you lose all your engagement momentum. and yeah yeah and yeah, the credibility and the engagement and it's just um, it's really unfortunate to have to do so. Uh, you really want to have the best possible script before you go into recording and then sure. uh, and then do the, the best you can do in the edit. Um, what was the second the, question? Yeah, sorry, I should I should never ask two questions at once. I do it, and this always happens. Um, <laughs> My second question is about when, how to know when to stop when you when your research is so thorough. How do you, you know, I'm yeah. looking at videos here like uh, the latest one, Spider-Man class and militarization in the in the Marvel uh, in the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe. That's a, a, such an enormous topic. And yeah. how do you? I'm not at all implying that your um, that your video is not uh, thorough enough. But how how do you know? Okay, this is yeah, this is my 25 minutes. This is the content i've got because there's always more research and more content you can put yeah. into something like that right yeah absolutely i was thinking about this today because i've got um the new the the next video i'm working on i have various quotes and i love to have a good i love having a good quote from like the 70s or something just to sort of mm. prove my point i didn't make this up this is real um and i i i don't know if i overuse them but sometimes I have to go, you know what, it, maybe it's actually boring to just add in a like long quote by a psychologist from the 1970s. Mm -hmm. like maybe I can just say it and put the little citation in at the bottom. Because at the end of the day, I think for me, deciding when it's going too far is, has it stopped being fun? And yeah. I think yeah, like, yeah, yeah. learning is like learning's fun, right? I think learning is fun. Um, and I think we can all enjoy feeling like we're being educated on something i think there's like inherently um a pleasure in that especially when we get to pick the topic you know we we click on the youtube video because we want to watch that um and yeah but um but learning can also be boring and i've watched plenty of youtube videos where i'm just like god i just don't want to listen to you like why why are you just why are you dragging this out for so long like God, you know, some people will like begin their videos, their YouTube video by like talking about, they'll be like, oh, I, I recorded this video introduction five times already, but my camera broke, so I'm doing it again. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't care. Like, just do the video. Like, I'm, didn't, I'm not watching this to hear about your like camera. I don't want and, behind and the just, scenes insight. <laughs> yeah. Like, are you, are you gonna, yeah, I don't know. Just get on with it. And, I listen to um, podcasts like that sometimes where, where that often, you know, usually podcasts where there's like, two or more regular hosts and the first kind of 10 or 15 minutes can be them just catching up and it's like i know yeah. i'm not here to listen to your just like oh catch yeah up, you know yeah and it'll <laughs> it sounds be like so harsh least, but 
yeah, it'll be like an interview with like a famous person. You're like ready to listen, and the and the the uh, hosts are just chatting with each other for ten minutes. And you're like, I don't even know who you are. I'm only, I'm only listening to this for for the for the interview. But um, yeah. So I don't I don't want to lose anyone's attention. So it it really comes down to how can I. Because like a huge topic like Marvel Spider Man and militarization mm-hmm. and class like that is huge, um, and there's so much there is so much to say. But how can I get, breaking it down into each section? How can I say this concisely in a way that is not boring? And maybe I can make a joke <laughs> as well if I can squeeze it in there. Um, yeah, it's just uh, I guess, and it, I think it's intuition. And I've been doing youtube long enough that i think i have a better intuition now of when i've gone too far and when it's too boring mm. um and when it's fun and when it's entertaining i hope i do i mean i seem to because i i think so for sure thank you <laughs> i hope so i hope i mean if you were watching my videos eight years ago i hope i don't know i don't know i, I don't my video i find those old videos very embarrassing now i'm slowly like uh, privating my older stuff right right i don't i don't know if i will on the doctor who channel because i feel like the doctor doctor who channel is sort of a chaotic entity in and of itself but i'm my my main channel is is becoming more kind of professionalized if if you can call it that and yeah my my newer videos are just a lot better and so having these weird old videos where i like just talk to the camera about tofu or something strange like uh, i don't know i it's a bit shit i'm allowed to swear yeah it's absolutely <laughs> fine i was going to ask yeah. about the doctor who uh, channel because obviously that's still that continues to be kind of largely like bits and bobs of reviews and historically you've put like um kind of quote-unquote educational videos on there kind of running down uh the lives of various doctors and stuff like that or doing watch-alongs with people um mm-hmm. have you got plans to do any kind of doctor who themed video essays for your main channel like you've done for for spider-man or star trek um i i i'm not really sure to do with my doctor who channel to be honest because i i thought for a minute there i was like wouldn't it be fun to do some old reviews and i started doing old reviews and i realized no one cared and no one was watching which is fine and totally valid but i was like well if no one if not no one because some people people watch them but like so like significantly fewer people were watching them than watching um my other channel and and i I just thought well i don't know if i want to do that if not a lot of people are watching at the moment and i also feel like my reviews aren't getting as much attention but that's in part because I, I kind of I disappeared from YouTube for mm. for for a couple of years. Um, so I lost a, a lot of I don't know people lost interest in me, um, which is fine. I don't think the sub box um, is is kind to you on YouTube if you if you disappear for long periods is what I've heard. The algorithm doesn't yeah. like it. Yeah, 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 and um, and then you don't get any new subscribers. And there mm. there's a few years there where like I just had negative subscribers for for years. So um i don't know and people don't some people don't know who i am because i i i transitioned and so occasionally someone will comment on one of my youtube channels and be like i don't know who you are and i'm like but but i'm subscribed to you and i'm like oh that's great welcome um (laughs) well you've kind of anticipated my next question which feel free to completely um reject this question because it's quite a personal one but what was it like 
kind of um having that public platform while you transitioned um i found okay so i don't know if i don't want to sound vain ever but i think a lot of people who used to watch me um were thirsty for me and when i transitioned i went from being this like a scruffy punky bisexual dude to being like this like non-binary mess with bad hair Mm -hmm. worse hair i should say um and terrible makeup and i think people were a bit like oh (laughs) okay (laughs) i don't know what's happening here um and i really that's such a strange thing to say but but i've heard people say that on youtube like you have to i don't know your audience kind of wants to feel like maybe they could fuck you one day. Um, and I think... I is think that part that, of the I parasocial relationship, do you think? I guess it is, is for some people. absolutely yeah. part of the parasocial yeah. relationship. Absolutely. I mean, what is more intimate than someone staring you in the eyes and talking to you for hours monthly? You know, like, yeah. it's it, it's such an intimate experience watching a YouTube video. It can be. <clears throat> and... Um, and so I think, and I don't think that's all all viewers, right, at all. But um, but some of the more excitable viewers, um, sure. and definitely just like a faction of the viewers. And and I think I lost them. But I also I like I didn't want to I didn't want to do YouTube while I was transitioning. I like I I had become really burned out on call out culture because I I mean I I feel like at that time sort of everyone was a victim of being perpetually called out and and i i was i was calling people out too um but i just became burned out on it because you know you i i I felt like i was doing things with best of intentions and it was just leading to constant like misery and anxiety and everyone hated each other and it was it was very unpleasant and then i decided to transition which is very embarrassing like it's embarrassing the way that being a teenager is embarrassing except yeah. like it feels like a second ad- adolescence in a lot of ways in my experience yeah and you know what like i knew that because i knew that that was what it would be because everyone says it they're like it's going through another puberty mm. um it's going through another adolescence and then and i thought but i'm not going to be that bitch you know <laughs> i'm going to be better than that yeah like and then, and now I look yeah. back at photos of myself, and I'm like, why did I think that that was you me? You always being think it's not that? you. <laughs> That's so true. And I'm sure I'll be. I'm laughing now, but I'm sure you know. I'm relatively speaking very, very early in my transition, so I'm, I'm sure that in two, three, four, five years' time, I'm gonna look back and think, oh my god, what was she thinking then? You know. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, it's embarrassing, and I, I can understand the reluctance to to put that in camera. But also, like, I look, I look back on myself now, and I do think, okay, what was with that weird bowl cut? Why did you do that? But also, I think, God, how fucking brave I was, because nowadays, like, the idea of going, I used to work at a Debenhams, and I just went to work one day with like fake tits, and I, and I, I like bleached, I, I bleached my hair and dyed it pink, mm. and and I, and. And it had been after like a week off. I went with these fake tits, and I don't know if this is too intimate for your podcast. But like I went, I went to work, and and everyone thought I'd gotten a boob job. But I was also still using like the men's locker room in sure. the work in the like uh, um 
And so I just, I went to work looking, for lack of a better term, looking like a man with, with tits and a, and a bowl cut. And, and I just was like, fuck all of you. If any of you, you know, come at me, bro. Like, and I was just so <laughs> I'm like, looking at the like, bowl cut right shit. now. And I have to say, I think it's iconic. It's, oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's it's a stunning color. It looks great on you. I don't think you've got anything to be worried about. Oh, God. Thank you. <laughs> I just think my head is too big to have that smaller hair. Anyway, um, but I just, yeah, <laughs> I just looking back on that period of time, I think I was very brave in a way that I, I kind of feel like I, I'm not anymore. Like, I don't, because now I, despite what um, various commenters on YouTube will tell me, like, I, I do pass and, like, it's not like a problem in my life I like people don't stare at me because I'm trans Mm. people stare at me because they think I'm a lesbian because I'm holding hands with my girlfriend Mm -hmm. and like I don't get harassed on the streets for being trans I get harassed on the streets for having a girlfriend um and yeah so it's like I don't know being I'm not I don't consider myself to be stealth or anything but like I I guess my life is stealth enough and I'm so used to people not looking at me twice and not noticing that I'm trans that um, the idea of like walking into a Debenhams with with 60 co-workers and just saying fuck you to everyone um, mm. is, is terrifying. I just can't believe that I did that. But I, I, I think when you're when you're ready to transition, you just kind of you, I mean, you either either you're brave or you're not going to do it. So yeah, every part of it is scary, right? So you just kind of yeah, yeah. You've no choice but to um to go for it. Yeah, I mean, I've had a similar thing. Like we, I I remember the first time, um, my girlfriend and I got in a cab. This is maybe eighteen months ago. We got in a cab, and the cab driver started um interrogating us about um about the fact we were in a same sex relationship, right? And it's, it was really weird mm. because it was the first time that I'd faced any i mean he wasn't harassing us he was just clearly from a different culture and and was interested right but he mm-hmm. it was the first time i'd faced questions about being in a lesbian relationship rather than being visibly trans and it was really mm-hmm. odd and i remember just sitting there and and remaining completely silent because i thought if i speak and this guy hears my voice that the, the questions are gonna get out of hand so i just i remained completely silent and i let my girlfriend my cisgender girlfriend answer all the questions and i'm very grateful to her <laughs> that she that she yeah. um, was my spokesperson on that occasion but yeah very very weird um i was gonna ask you how you got into to bring it back to doctor who because i realized our doctor who chat has been thin on the ground so far <laughs> um <laughs> how how what was your um entry point into doctor who and how did it become um such an enormous well i assume it's a big part of your life um how did it become such a big part of your life um well i i remember watching uh, when i was a kid i think i had um for some reason my mum had taped at some point off the television episode three of planet of the daleks so when i was like six years old that was like all my context for doctor who was episode three of planet of the daleks and right that's the one with John Pertwee and um Joe and where there's like the invisible aliens yeah that's right yeah on a planet that's named the Exxon Exxon planet Exxon I think Exxon Exxon yeah 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 yeah, Exxon um and 
I just remember like the fungus thing. I remember them talking about the fungus. Um, anyway, but yeah, and that, and then in 1996 when the Doctor Who movie happened, I remember watching that, and I remember the Doctor regenerating. And I think I must have watched like a Peter Cushing film as well when I was little, and that and that was my memory of Doctor Who um, uh, until. I watched some to like make fun of when I was a teenager with my best friend because he had a bunch of old DVD, um, of VHS tapes of Doctor Who. And then uh, 2005 happened and Doctor Who was familiar enough to me that it was an exciting prospect. But also I, I'd moved to America and sort of holding on to British culture was very important to me. I was a very lonely nerd with with no sort of friends or hope and 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 in a very different place. I lived in Texas. It was very, mm. very different. It was very alien and so familiar stuff. I don't know, I've never processed it like this before, but like, yeah, like it was really important to me to have something very familiar that was very British and and I think that helped. I, I, I was a sci-fi fantasy nerd anyway. I was a huge Star Trek fan already. Um, but yeah, when, when Christopher Eccleston, Doctor Who started, I watched all that. I went on holiday to the UK and bought all the DVDs and brought them back to America and I showed everyone. And I was just obsessed with that first se season of se series one. Um, and I mean, and that was it. And then I just lost my mind. And I remember going on eBay and, <laughs> and buying VHS tapes of all the old Doctor Whos. And I watched them all through this lens of like, this is what the ninth Doctor experienced. And, and to everyone, I just brought this like, in my mind, I brought this experience, this, uh, like, I projected the Ninth Doctor this onto this character. narrative, right. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's really funny now, because I know all the old Doctors really independently, and I have my own, like, I have feelings about each of them, respectively, but I wasn't watching it in any order. I just got random ones that sounded exciting to me. Like, I thought Mordred Undead sounded really thrilling, because <laughs> it, the, the idea that, like, well, the Brigadier was in it, and that seemed important. And then also the idea that, like, someone was tricked into thinking the Doctor regenerated into someone else. I thought that was really exciting. So I got that, and I was thoroughly Bit disappointed. Bitterly disappointed, presumably, was... yeah. <laughs> yeah, I it really wasn't very good. Um, and, uh, which My thing about Mordrum with Undead is that they, as soon as they realised that they couldn't get... Um, what's his fate William Russell for it, they should have abandoned the idea entirely. It just doesn't work yeah. with the Brigadier, in my opinion, but... Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I didn't find out till years later why the brigadier had just randomly become a teacher. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I just like absorbed all these VHS tapes. I had so many VHS tapes, and um, it's so weird to talk about VHS tapes now. Like they're a historical relic, you know. Um, I almost want to buy an old TV and buy an old VHS player well, just to watch VHS. I've just now. bought for my dad for his birthday. There's a guy on Etsy who refurbishes old Doctor Who VHS tapes and makes them into um, little uh, lamps. He puts oh. like um, <laughs> like LEDs inside them, and you can put it on your oh, <laughs> put it in your house as a lamp. And oh, I'm, I'm, wow. I know my dad's going to love that um so that's I amazing was up one of those that's yeah. that's so cool that's that's amazing wow um yeah they they were special and they took up so much space um but you could get them really cheap in like 2005 2006 you could, because yeah. they were because yeah because dvds were all coming into fashion so it was like you could buy them for like a couple of bucks on ebay or whatever mm -hmm. um 
Yeah, and I know, and I just become, and I, I tend to, I get very obsessed with things, and if if something is my thing, then that's it. It's just my thing, and I'm obsessed with it for many years to come, and it just, yeah, it consumes my whole life in a totally irrational way, and like, and 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 it was all the Russell, the, the Russell T Davies for me, my my era of Doctor Who, the, the era of Doctor Who that impacted me the most is the Russell T. Davis mm-hmm. era of Doctor Who. Um and I and and when Jack, oh because Jack was in the first season and mm-hmm. I remember I remember the moment watching Jack kiss the Doctor was such a wonderful, exciting and kiss the Doctor and Kiss Rose was really exciting for me because I was just coming out. And actually I remember watching it, I know where I was and if I was there, then that must have been the same like month where I came out to my sister and my best friend and I must have just come out or I think I came out to my mom soon after. So yeah, it was like Jack was sort of this catalyst for me coming out as bisexual to um, the most important people in my life. And and then Torchwood started, which was so distinctly bisexual, very intentionally bisexual. For sure, yeah. Um, and that was, that was phenomenal for me. And I, I think probably having Jack as a role model for as a queer teenager was probably not ideal. Um, (laughs) But, (laughs) but like, I mean, in a way it was wonderful because I feel like Jack is like, he's so indiscriminate about who he fancies that like there's, it, it makes you just feel, it makes, it makes bisexuality feel so freeing and so like radical and exciting. But at the same time, um, the validity of his sexuality is very much dependent on how slutty he is, which is wonderful. And I love how slutty he is and it's totally hashtag valid, but I became more slutty. <laughs> I think as a result, rather than like wanting to be slutty, I was like, this is how I validate my bisexuality. Right, right. I become slutty like Captain Jack, yeah. um, which I don't think is the fault of the character. It's the fault of the society where literally Jack Harkness was like, the only bisexual on television and now if you if you look at tv now there's bisexuals everywhere right like legends of tomorrow has become sort of the new torchwood and and like and every show has like a bisexual character a pansexual character or something and 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 lgbt representation has become such a big deal and but but because i mean for reasons that you know it's very commercially it's a very good idea to have like one lgbt character in the background or something for sure but um but in those days i just i don't think there was anything and i really feel like well chris chibnall likes to likes to invent lgbt lgbt characters and then immediately kill them off but that's another um yeah that's a that's a conversation for another day i guess (laughs) yeah that's a big conversation yeah one that i'm very much interested um but yeah but there was just nothing in those days. I really, mm. I like the way I remember it. There was nothing, and and I think that it was hugely influential on, on the representation that we do have today. Even if the representation we have now is a bit crap, um, I think I guess it's certainly more varied than it was in two thousand five um, when we when we had Captain Jack, right? Um, yes, I mean, there's loads of trans representation now, which we didn't have then, which is which yeah. is good. I mean, Doctor Who, you know mentioned transness a few times all we had was cassandra in 2005 (laughs) yes which like i love cassandra like i love cassandra i think she's such a great and wonderful character but obviously like not as in terms of like 
representing I mean, it's not, it's not trans meaningful trans representation. No, not at all. And transgenderism is used in that in that story as shorthand for the most extreme kind of body modification that is uncondonable, right? That's the that's yeah, the, well, uh, um, the what Russell seems to be getting at there is that oh my god, she's so extreme in her body modification that she used to be a man. That's that's yeah. kind of his vibe. Not yeah, that I blame for him sure. for that. It was you know it was ages ago and the, the yeah. attitudes were different. But yeah, I, yeah, and I think also Cassandra is. I mean, she's a bit of a sort of white supremacist, right? Doesn't mm. she want to? She likes to be bleached, right? That's so she's right. like, yeah, she's had she's had surgery to be sort of the most. I don't know, in her mind, sort of the most perfect white woman. Mm. Um, at and she's extremely xenophobic, and yeah, it's it, it's well, it's that a sort lot of to seems unpack. inspired by Michael Jackson, doesn't it? And his alleged skin um, bleaching that he, he yeah, made. well, yeah. I don't know if it's inspired because because she's very specifically xenophobic, like she she considers other people to be like mongrels and stuff, right? Like, if For a sure. human, yeah, that's true, if a human had a had children with another species mm. and they're a mongrel um and she's considers herself to be the purest and the last and all this stuff and she romanticizes it so i th i think there's a lot there's a lot going on there it's more it's the, mm. there's there's the michael jackson element there's the trans element and there's also the white the like white supremacist <laughs> she's a complex character she's yeah. a complex and she's, I, a, like, she's I, a trampoline I, katie hopkins isn't she in a lot of ways. <laughs> yes. I mean, I do like unironically love her. Um, and cause I just, I, and I love, I just love new earth and, and I think she's so great in new earth. And I think she's, she's complex in a way that I feel like only Russell T Davis can do. Is she good representation? No, I love her anyway. It's just, that's just how it's going to be. <laughs> um, I always think of the other the other sort of trans reference that I always think of with with Russell's era is in Midnight, where they refer to, I can't remember the specific line of dialogue, but they welcome like ladies, gentlemen, multiforms, blah blah, and then they list all these other kind of uh, gender nonconforming or transgender yes. adjacent identities, robots, other things, and even though I think they. Um, that it's not just in Midnight, is it? I think he does it like three times. Like right. I think actually in in End of the World, they say like is there a reference like that there too? Right. And okay. I think it's ladies, gentlemen, and multiforms or something. And then they do it in Midnight as well. Or it's like and it's like la ladies and gentlemen and um, undecided or something like that. And, and there's right. I yes. I can't think of the next one, but there's I think there's a third episode where they do the same thing. My my, and yeah. my feeling about that is mixed because on the one hand, it's clearly using the transgender experience to facilitate a throwaway gag right but on the other hand it's um this it, it feels like it felt natural to russell yes. to to the in the future that would be the spectrum that gender existed on right yeah not, not that like... it didn't in 2005 but that that there would be a public awareness of that and that and that it would be treated uh casually well, he's also imagined that in the 51st century, like, basically everyone is bisexual, right? Like, mm, the mm. sexual orientation doesn't exist, really. I mean, yeah. that's how I, how I would put it. There's no such thing as sexual orientation. There's just people who are sexual. And that's sure. the future. And, like, and there's... there the face of there's the face of Bo was pregnant and then it turns out Jack was is the face of Bo and then Jack yeah. makes a joke in Torchwood episode one where he he says he's ne he never wants to be pregnant again so like yes Russell T Davies vision of the future is so queer and so beyond gender 
that like yeah sometimes it is funny and it feels like a joke but at the same time it, it feels like an in-joke or something like to me I just feel like I'm I'm in on it and I'm like yes we agree yeah <laughs> we I, agree I, I flip-flopped on it I flip-flopped on it because at first you know maybe three or four years ago I'd have I'd have been I'd have cringed at those at those moments but and now I I like them I, I um I celebrate it mm-hmm. um I remember what when I was watching your content back in the day you sort of um you sort of fell off the train a little bit in the Moffat era, which is something that slightly oh, yeah, happened to completely. me. And then in the sort of years following Moffat stuff, I've really fallen in love with it. And now it's probably my favorite era of the show. Which now is, it's your which, favorite era. Yeah. Which is kind of wild. Really? That's so interesting. Yeah. I, I definitely, I fell out of love during the Moffat era and the first, the first Moffat season, I, cause I was, I mean, I was very much into like the feminist scene <laughs> at the time and i i heard the discourse of like moffat's doctor who is way more sexist like already there was kind of this 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 uh, not necessarily a problem but like this this awareness that like doctor who was kind of patriarchal during its whole run in some way there's, there's a patriarchal element to it arguably but then when Moffat started people were like okay this is really sexist and I was like no it's fine <laughs> and I think to me I, w- I just had so much faith that it would continue to be what it had been and I think Moffat's stories in the context of a Russell T Davis era did not feel sexist because it didn't matter if it like if if one episode written by Moffat was not particularly good representation of women, that didn't feel like a problem because probably the episode before was a good representation of women and the episode after was also a good. Re- so it, it didn't, in that context, it didn't feel problematic to me. And then after, I think by the end of the second Moffat season, I was like, fuck okay <laughs> I have to, I, I've got to just admit like this is there's a problem here. I think it, I think it was when is it Asylum of Asylum of the Daleks? Is that what it's called? Asylum yeah, of the Daleks. Yeah, that's the one. Series um, seven. Yeah, when when Amy was like the really terrible characterization where it was like Amy dumped Rory because she can't have children, and like okay, like I'm sure that is a thing that happens in relationships, but it felt so two dimensional and and silly, and and I and it. it the character yeah and and that was sort of the moment when i was like fuck okay and then i started looking back on it and going all the way back to the, the uh, russell t Davis era i was like oh now i see it it's been there all along and it's not um i mean i don't think he like hates women or anything but he has a very particular idea of what a woman is and what a woman should be and uh, and and I, th- I think it's all at the same time tied up, up in his like he has a kind of fetishization of women like he loves women but he loves something very some very specific things about women and i don't, I don't know i wonder what his relationship with his wife is because well i think i kind of agree with you i think <laughs> i think moffat i think moffat thinks that women are better than men right that's what i think he thinks at his heart right but it's uh mm-hmm. but it's a yeah it's a problematic fetishization of women um yeah um yeah. should we do unpopular opinions <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> You came to um, me with an exciting and popular opinion that I can't wait to talk about. Would you like to share it with the listeners? <laughs> okay, my unpopular opinion, which um, upset people on the internet, was when the doctor, when it was announced that the doctor would become Jodie Whittaker, 
I posited that uh, that means the doctor's transgender. Um, do people do people it. disagree with this? Like, what's their problem? Yes. <laughs> um, people. Uh, well, so I. Uh, so the, the definition of transgender um, nowadays is, and and this is, I think, most dic- dictionary definitions will say this: it's someone whose gender or gender identity doesn't align with the gender they were assigned at birth. That's it. And by that definition, the doctor's transgender. <laughs> oh, not anymore, um, though, in light of the timeless child. But do we know that the timeless <laughs> child was the earliest version? We don't, but we like, don't. But, but we it, don't know if, what, what gender the earliest version was now. But then also, if 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 with the timeless child, if... The doctor I was am trolling you, by the way. <laughs> oh no, no, I know, but I, I, I think this is hilarious. I, I love it. I love talking about this. Um, but like, if the timeless child was the gender, like female assigned at birth, then that means William Hartnell's doctor was transgender, <laughs> which, I, which I love even more. I love right? that like, even that's more a too. Wonderful idea. I love that. Like, yes. Um, so, like, I win either way. Um, but like, what, <laughs> the problem that people so people got very angry with me and usually it was i mean some of it was like uh, oh these damn trans people because already people would get pissed at me if i if i made too many gay jokes on youtube right. about doctor who they were like are you people trying to make doctor who gay and i'm doctor like doctor who's been on. gay literally since the 1970s like what are people talking about if i not think earlier. i yeah i will i think patrick Charlton. <laughs> um yeah i yeah, well, a doc- Doctor Who's always had a very different feel when it comes to, like, male sexuality, but um, in terms of the Doctor specifically, um, what were we talking about? The doc- is the Doctor transgender? You were explaining yeah, people, oh, people's, uh, yeah, issues with that. Yeah, people, people's responses. So some people were just very angry, and they were like, stop trying to shove your, like, trans agenda down our throats and whatever. Um, and then for some people, it was maybe maybe slightly more innocent um they would say um well the doctor's not transgender because to be to be transgender you need to well i guess they they would be saying things like you need to have dysphoria but it would usually be like you need to want to have like your penis removed or something it it, it would in that very in that way where it's clear that you don't you know nothing about trans people you know where it's like Oh, well, actually, to be transgender, you need to feel, oh, you, you need to have felt like you were always a woman trapped inside a man's body and the doctor didn't feel that, therefore the doctor can't be transgender. And I'd say, well, no, that's actually, that's not the definition of trans at all. But then people were very insistent that, yes, it is, um, because this is the uh, how they've conceptualized it, that's how they've learned about it, about it at some point. So um, they, yeah, and that people had such specific ideas about what a trans person was and they tended to all center around the body um, and how this was not how you be transgender. And and it's also very, I guess, kind of binarist where the idea is like, because obviously the doctor is and all time lords are essentially non-binary. And yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So like, they are people who, and like, it's it's a kind of a wonderful idea that you can't even really compare to humans because they can change their gender throughout their lives because they obviously don't just change their biology; they change their gender. Where like the doctor, the doc, like despite the despite what Peter Capaldi's doctor said, 
the doctor has very specific ideas about what gender is for their self right like sure. the doctor like if if you have long hair you're a girl according to the 11th doctor yes um, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and if you and if you regenerate into someone who looks like a girl then you're a girl and, and then you become you're a girl one and you and you yeah you present as and behave like and and conceptualize yourself as a woman right yeah yeah um it's, it's such a fun idea, the idea that you can tra- keep changing your gender and it's fine. And I, I kind of wish we had that. I I mean, I'm not particularly interested in being a man again at the moment, but like, I'd like the option. You know, it's nice to have your options open. I, I, I think... Sure. Like, well, I, the, I yeah, that's like... the thing, because the implication is never that um, the Doctor has felt um, uncomfortable with their gender until this moment when they are now, when they now look like Jodie Whittaker. Although... I guess we'll get to this in the bit, but in a bit. But in my mind, Peter Capaldi's Doctor is a closeted trans woman, and his whole arc is about discovering that. But that's—I mean, Stephen Moffat did not write that. Uh, that is me, oh. me under the fans imposing that on him. But I—I've not heard that. Yeah. I—I I, can you tell me more? Well, I just think that whole thing about um, the Twelfth Doctor um, punching through a wall of diamond for four billion years like what is that if not a damning critique of toxic masculinity and his whole story is about learning from the women in his life and it feels like by the end of his uh, by the end of his run he has this innate desire to be like the women in his life and that is where his i mean i realize this is a this is a, a reading of both the doctor, uh, both the twelfth doctor, and the, the the transgender experience in general, which does not align with the majority of people's experiences, but it's like he was always heading to that point, and um, and his, you know, if we if we're to believe that regeneration is intentional, and when um, Matt Smith regenerated into Peter Capaldi, he was choosing that face whether consciously or subconsciously, because it reminded him of um, mm-hmm. of uh, Cacilius from the fires of Pompeii, then there's intent behind the 12th Doctor's choice to become the thir- 13th Doctor, and there is intent, therefore, behind their decision to change their gender. Mm-hmm. Okay. And his, the, I don't know, the whole... Um, yeah. The whole st- all the stuff in Deep Breath, I mean, obviously, that's when he's just regenerated into... Capaldi but that I mean that feels so trans to me the whole of deep breath where he's like trying to get the um his best friend to see him for who he is and um that scene at the end where he's saying to Clara you don't you look at me and you don't and you don't see me you know and she just yeah, yeah she can't Gosh. she can't read him the way that he wants her to read him and I think that's so Gosh. remarkable that's really interesting. I, you know, I've never rewatched the Twelfth Doctor era because I didn't like it. But like, I think one day I will, and I'll keep that in mind. That lens when, when I do watch it, because I, for me, because um, I really, I've did, I fell out of love with New Who, with Moffat, and I, I, I never quite fell back in love with. I, I kept having moments. I kept having sparks where I'd have a brief affair. Um, and I've watched all of it, but like I never quite fell in love the same way. And this last season, I actually did like a lot, but I I still haven't quite fallen in love, in love with it again. And I think I'm so bitter 
now about what it became with Moffat that I can't quite, I'm not ready to rewatch it through fresh eyes and just enjoy it for what it is. And I think I will be one day and I look forward to that time, but I'm not ready yet. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I'm sure there'll come a time where you're, you're ready and you might still hate it, but you'll probably have mellowed and there'll be things that you find to enjoy. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure. Like I, I know that I hate it most of the time. I just didn't like it enough to keep making reviews about how angry I was. <laughs> I, I found it more enjoyable when I stopped making reviews. I, I could I could find it more fun because I could just turn off my brain a little bit and just be like, okay, let's just watch it and take it in for what it is and, and enjoy it instead of having to think about what I was going to tell people on the internet about how stupid it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I suppose... It's a very different experience reviewing um, something you love. Like I, because nowadays I watch Star Trek again, and and I just watch it uncritically. Because I mean, I, I I can't help but kind of criticize it on some level, but at the same time, um, I I can also just switch my brain off and enjoy it for what it is. Mm. And I think you, I think that's, I mean, that's for my mental health. I need that. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely need some stuff like that. I mean, in terms of reviewing stuff, I like to review stuff that I neither hate nor love. I find that's the best. That's the place I am most comfortable in being comfortable with being in when I'm reviewing something, and the most interesting mm-hmm. kind of review that I like to read. Um, but yeah, no, I think one of the other one of the stances I would take. I I think I agree with you that the Doctor is transgender. Gender, but if I was going to take um a stance against it, it would maybe be that her experiences of being um the gender that she is is not really relatable to any existing real life trans person maybe i don't know it's like her i mean my friend emma wrote an article about this but her there's something i think there's something frustrating for a lot of trans people in how instantaneous and without um and without problems her um her regeneration was like don't we all as trans people in a way want to be able to regenerate like that but we can't and that's kind of what's frustrating about and she doesn't seem traumatized by it and not that you have to be traumatized to be transgender of course not but she doesn't seem um yeah she doesn't seem aware of it she seems it seems to be something that that happened to her yeah um yeah for sure um it's yeah i i i i'm non-binary and i and i i do feel like i connect with this feeling of like i used to be a man and now i'm a woman how funny is that and whenever she talks about it like that i'm like oh yeah i love that stuff (laughs) yeah come to think of it i love that stuff yeah, I really relate to that. And everyone's shocked when they're like, what? She used to be a man. It's like, yep, sometimes yeah. that happens. Um, yeah, but and yeah, I, and I really very, do. I, I think I differ from a lot of other trans people in that I I conceptualize myself as as having used to be a man, which is something that lots yeah. of trans people don't. But um, that's how the doctor sees herself, yeah. I guess. So I do relate to her on that level. Yeah. Um, I, and I think like they totally could have done it in a more complex way and had her deal with sexism but i think often doctor who refuses to deal with like <laughs> like contemporary racism and sexism and stuff it's like it's a thing of the past and whatever uh, or it's a metaphor for blue aliens and whatever um 
but uh yeah but you know it's really helpful when you have small children in your life i have two nephews they're nine and ten and when and i guess it, how many years has it been now since jody was they, they they must have been around six when when she regenerated and and their understanding of my transness is that i regenerated mm. um and that's just so for them it's very simple um i regenerated like the doctor did and that's really cool to have <laughs> yeah i haven't I hadn't thought of it as a useful educational tool for kids like that no it's just yeah it i i think it i don't know would it be too dangerous and would it be um a fool's errand for the show to try and engage engage with trans issues more um outwardly um no it, I I think they sh- well I don't know I mean I guess what I'm asking I just, you is do I you, don't know do you Chris trust Chibnall. Chris Chibnall to do a trans story <laughs> no not really no I don't I don't think he's no I I think it would be really cool to have a trans writer there's a trans writer I just learned this today I didn't know this but there's a trans writer writing the 13th Doctor novels right do you, Do you know, know Dawson, Dawson? Wrote, a, wrote a 13th Doctor novel? Yeah, in the first like run of three, uh, the the first three uh, 13th Doctor novels, one of them was by her. It's called The Good Doctor. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't read it, but but like, I don't know. It would be so great if you if they could bring in a trans writer to to do that. But I don't she, know. She if announced you could the other just... day that she was well, it wasn't really an announcement, but she revealed that she was one of the planned writers for Class season two before that got axed as well, which would have oh. been cool. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, that would have been cool. There's not even very many women writers in Doctor Who. Um, no. but, and there hasn't been ever, which is really frustrating. But um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I think the way that... The... Oh, hello. 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 Hey. I'm really sorry. That was crazy. I don't know why that happened. That's no problem at all. Um, I'm I, just gonna yeah, see I thought my it, connection had gone, so I, uh, I'm grateful that it was not that. Um, yeah, I, it's a blue screen of death moment. Oh, my word. Yeah, you want to get yeah. that computer scan for viruses pronto. Yeah, it's very disturbing. I think I do not have the recording now. Yeah, it didn't. Oh, that, that's I okay because I've I've still got two recordings, so it's uh, it should be okay. Okay, <laughs> I'll I'll start recording now and and hope that it gets the rest of it just in case. Cool. Oh, that sucks. Okay. I I'm <laughs> afraid I you can't rely on me to tell you what you were saying when the when the computer crashed. <gasps> um. Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, we're talking about like writers, right? Well, we we just talked about yeah the fact that. Juno Dawson had written one of the thirteenth Doctor books, but the, other than that, yeah, there's there's kind of no um, trans writing staff for Doctor Who, and and in fact, no female, well, a small yeah, number very, of female writers very, for for Doctor Who. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, and I think with with I don't know, this era isn't going very well. It is. I mean, it went deep into like the Rosa Parks stuff. I keep thinking like, is there a way you can do that with like Stonewall or something? I feel like, I don't know if there's a real, like a good equivalent that I would just, be I like a good... I just don't know that I want that. 
I yeah, I don't I wouldn't trust it to be good. And I, I I don't I don't really trust I don't really like the mainstream like LGBT narrative. I, I think it the mythology of it is a bit I don't know like I don't, I the way things things get sort of ahistorically romanticized in a way that that doesn't quite sit right with me and um and I wouldn't want Chris Chibnall to be the one to to do it. It would have to be the right person. But I, I also I don't feel like we have the same kind of like a good watershed moment. Like it would Doctor Who wouldn't quite feel right going to a bar where people like the point. I don't know. Like <laughs> the going to a, like a bar. I see what you're saying. It's getting like drunk and then getting attacked by the cops. Yeah, then... <laughs> like you don't want to. In a way, I mean, you do in a way, but you also. It wouldn't be appropriate to see the doctor throw a brick at a police officer, right? <laughs> That's a torchwood story. As much as like, as much as like, it would be great to see that. You're, also, that's never going to happen on, on primetime BBC One. I've, you know, I've had conversations about even how the the Rosa Parks story was distilled in a um, in a way that kind of oversimplifies and over romanticizes that civil rights battle. So I yeah. think we, I'd be worried about a similar thing happening if you did an LGBT focused doctor who story and also you know even though we have both established that the doctor very much is trans i can't imagine i can't imagine the 13th doctor having a moment of clarity in that environment you know i can't imagine her quote-unquote transness playing into that story in any meaningful way maybe it doesn't need to but i I just i just feel like it would feel odd yeah i mean yeah but that's interesting though like how the doctor would connect with it because maybe that is the story to do um or i don't know if it needs to even be a story like jack came along and there was no story about bisexuality jack just was bisexual and it was fine and yeah, although the they... empty child in a lot of ways is about the experience of bisexuality isn't it or like the experience of queerness and and kind of uh yeah, freedom of sexuality and 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 a and a and a bisexual future. Yeah, I mean, and maybe, yeah, I mean, in sort of an allegorical way, you could totally do a story that's about like gender in that sense, like freedom of gender, and yeah. and incorporate transness into that, and and but you could also just have a, a character just be trans and it be fine and they exist and it's not an issue for the story. Um, and and that's not like in theory that's what we have in the form of the doctor but it's not because she's so even though she is technically trans she's so far removed from any real world idea of yeah what the trans experience is like as to be kind of useless as a trans role model like it feels dangerous to say that but you know it's almost like when you when you get depictions of like um of trans of real life trans people who are uh very far along in their transition and very rich and and are uh conform to uh, uh western beauty standards in a ludicrous way and they're the trans role models we get it's like they're no less trans than anybody else but it's not necessarily the, the best and most constructive representation yeah. for most trans people and the 13th doctor feels like an extreme version of that yeah i think on the same note i'd say uh, i i would imagine a lot of women I, like whatever the contemporary, I mean, the various contemporary experiences of womanhood in Britain are, I don't think the doctor can really relate to any of that. Um, for one thing, I think she used to be a dad. And if that has any kind of gender, like 
meaning on Gallifrey than she's never really even necessarily been a like a mum. She hasn't experienced misogyny in the same way that people on Earth experience misogyny. She hasn't been experiencing misogyny for very long, and she hasn't experienced a lot of it um, in in the last couple of years. So I, I like I don't know. She's not necessarily. But then I guess she that raises its own ex- questions because one of the criticisms often levelled um, at, at trans women in the way, and one of the ways in which uh, you know turfs, for example, attempt to invalidate us is by suggesting that we've not faced enough misogyny. And of course, mm-hmm. being a victim of misogyny should not be and is not a prerequisite to getting to be a valid woman, right? And that's kind of. So I wouldn't want to start mm-hmm. leveling that criticism at the doctor. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't use. I wouldn't say that's a criticism. But in terms, just in in the same sense that, like, I I think that like her experience is obviously removed from our experience of transness. I think in the same way, her experience of womanhood is removed from like Yaz's experience of womanhood. Right. Um. Yeah, and like, and it's fine. And I don't think it's. I don't think it's a problem. Um. But in terms of like representation, um. I don't know. Like. I I I think there's there's a lot of like bi and tra- I feel that bi-ness and like gender queerness uh, or like transness in a very non-binary way often is utilized um uh, in a metaphorical way in sci-fi and fantasy um and often part of that is, that metaphor is this person is different from you and they are the other they're outside of society they experience they 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 don't they don't know the rules of society don't apply to them like a like part of jack's like sexuality is that he is from a different culture he's from the future he's he doesn't play by our rules he doesn't really even understand our rules um and like yeah, those jack, jack's are queer fine. in ideology rather than simply in behavior right yeah yeah i mean I yeah guess how i would frame it well but. he's but both for sure but his bisexuality has like a narrative function like bisexual like bisexual bisexuality often has this narrative function of showing us the otherness of the character right like yeah. we all know that the rules are monosexual we all know uh, i shouldn't say that word we all know that the rules are you should be gay or straight um but like but when someone comes along like jack who just says what rules i don't understand what you're talking about you people in your quaint little categories um part of that is to show us that he's different that he is sort of alien in some way um and sort of the doctor's transness probably it's like it works in the same way because no one goes oh yes i also used to be a man like everyone's like what how strange this woman used to be a man um and like that's fine and i love it and i love jack and i love the doctor and i love those kinds of characters but to have a character um embody the experience of being queer of being trans is is something else entirely which uh, hasn't really been done and when, because I mean, I guess Clara is maybe bisexual, but like in a totally stupid way. And not like, <laughs> I mean, in, in in the sense that Stephen Moffat thinks all women are bisexual, right? Like Moffat thinks, except for lesbians, Moffat thinks all women are bisexual, except for lesbians, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is really weird. But like, that seems to be how women work in his storytelling. Yeah, no, you're right. I can't, look, I can't defend that. That's true. Um, 
I, I suppose, yeah, that the kind of the key thing for me is that I think the Doctor differs, the 30th Doctor differs from Jack in that respect because she is quieter about her own otherness in terms of her kind of uh, queer or, or trans identity. And also she, you're right that when she, whenever the, the subject of her having previous pre- previously been another gender crops up, it, it happens on her own terms. Like she brings it up, which is not yeah. especially reflective of um, the average transgender experience. Like obviously yeah. it can be, but you know and people do bring up their own transness all the time but it's it's like no one's uh, it's very rare that anyone's leveling that at her um or, yeah. or and it and she doesn't yeah her her transness is not apparent um to the outside world i guess i suppose yeah. there's been, a, there's been it... a couple of occasions like where stephen fry's character assumed that Graham was the doctor and Jack himself actually yes. assumed Graham was the doctor. Those are the only occasions I can think of where other people have this is why I think it would have been so interesting to have had a companion um crossover from the twelfth doctor to if we'd had Bill, for example, crossover from the twelfth to the thirteenth doctor's yeah. ears. How extraordinary to have Bill, especially Bill, because she is obviously herself a queer woman, to have her experience the doctors the doctor change their gender before her eyes and and go through that journey with her would have been yeah. incredible um i, I miss yeah. that i i miss that that i don't know like the only time we've had that in new who is um 11 to 12 isn't it with clara well, like have a nine, companion nine to 10 i guess oh yeah that's yeah. true um yeah but like we didn't get it from like eight we didn't get it from seven to eight we didn't get it from mm-hmm. eight to to nine and we didn't get it from 10 to 11 and then we didn't get it from 12 to 13 and i just it's so helpful to have the companion be there and to see the world through their eyes i really i really i really love that um and the companion i don't know i i think the companion's a bit a bit of a mess in in the chibnall era i just there's just too many of them yeah you and me both <laughs> I was yeah. Re- yeah, I mean, I was talking about this with um, Joy Piedmont on my um, on my uh, recent review podcast of the, the the New Year special. But I was so relieved to be getting a series of Yaz and the Doctor frolicking around, and then John Bishop has um, yeah. has reared his ugly head. Um, <laughs> it's going to be joining the TARDIS team. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure he'll be fantastic, but um, yeah. I do feel a twinge of disappointment um, around. Yeah, that. yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Speaking of which, what would you do with the Doctor's sexuality? Because of all of the New Who Doctors, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor is the only one who's not had any kind of um, sexual or romantic relationship. And that, I think, is significant. And I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, in a way, I feel like it's cowardly. Um, but also, yeah. yeah, I don't know what they should do with it. What, what would what would be your I, stance on that? Well, I feel like um, I feel like the entire character of the Thirteenth Doctor is so different from, um, like, the, in particular, the Twelfth Doctor and the Tenth Doctor and the Ninth Doctor, um, and in some ways, yeah, and the Eleventh Doctor. I feel like 
she's more she's most like the fifth doctor and i feel like she's very childlike and i feel like that's like intrinsic to the character is like um that she well she experiences the world with a childlike wonder but i also i feel like she's not mature like she's not grown up and she's not i don't know she feels like a new person she doesn't feel like someone who's thousands of years old um which i think even i i think um matt smith he often made the doctor feel like a five-year-old but then he could turn that around very suddenly and feel genuinely like he was thousands of years old and i i think most doctors can to some degree they have that like child childishness and then they have that sort of ancient mysterious wiseness um to some degree um except for the fifth doctor and the 13th doctor which i i think both of them they their youthfulness is is so much a part of who they are and i can't i just can't imagine her having a like a mature like a mature adult relationship with with someone and she just doesn't seem like yeah. growing up i can't remember who i was talking about this with so sorry if you're listening and it was you but i I feel like her her chirpiness and her childishness is makes her feel insincere and that there's it yes. feels like there's something dark underneath it and that it's all you know it's all a facade the rest this whole um chirpy rabbit in the headlights persona she's got uh-huh. and that that jars with me and it could be something that Jodie's going for but yeah I think you're right that any you know, if they decided next season they were going to do a full romance subplot with Yaz, like, yeah, I'd be really chuffed about that. But equally, it would feel it would feel jarring. It would feel like watching your favourite children's TV presenter do a romance subplot, right? Um, <laughs> favourite children's... Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I think... Because yeah, it's, it's awkward, it would right? Feel like, like, it would feel like... Um, Jeffrey on Rainbow bringing a woman home to the rain <laughs> to the Rainbow House, wouldn't it? I think yeah, like that. yeah. I see. I see what you mean. I mean, the, I think there's always going to be inherently a weirdness to the Doctor's relationships with his companions because, like, with um, like he's he's a he's a very old man who fell in love with a nineteen-year-old. Uh, sure. uh, like, yeah. Yeah, 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 and like, and I think that actually. Like that was, I think that was actually fine when it was Rose in the sense that um, he was clearly someone who was deeply traumatized, who was recovering from his trauma and keeping her at arm's length. Um, And there was never, he never like, I I didn't feel like he was manipulating a power dynamic or anything. So, and, and they never kissed and they never turned into like a sexual relationship or anything like that. So it didn't feel wrong to me and inappropriate. Um, so they, I feel like it worked as long as they never were actually a couple, mm-hmm. um, as long as they never actually sort of sealed the deal. And and his like trauma was really, I think, right. important. There were there, I don't know, there, sure. there was sort of an element of powerlessness to him. Oh, that I think they did seal the deal, it. though. I think that I think the doctor dances. And the doc, you know, the doctor does dance. Oh the no, dances. that's my view. But you know, think what I you mean, want. Metaphorically, <laughs> yes. It, that's I, I, I get, I get that that's what was implied. But I think canonically between the two characters, I don't think 
um, there was any penetration. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, um, I don't know. It was and all it, just dry humping. Just exactly. It was just dry humping what, all the way. That's, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. <laughs> Um, no, I think the doctor would be traumatized by dry humping. I feel like <laughs> I feel like the doctor would be someone who would need, like, you'd need to see a sex therapist together or something to to figure that whole oh situation out. The thing, um, the thing is, though, like, he's so old, and like, it's not something we can relate to in the real world. Like, I I read this online earlier. Someone else was talking about it, but like, even River Song, who in theory is a more age appropriate partner for the doctor, yeah. um, certainly later in her life, anyway. She's like what two hundred years old at one point, and she, and he's like a thousand years older than her, which, I mean, we just got we've not not got a a kind of a framework for understanding that in the real world. So I think you just have to, I don't know. I feel like you've got to read the Doctor as the age the actor is, and I think that's what the show is asking you to do. Um, well, I I, th- I think the the problem with age gaps is power dynamics sure. right it, like yeah. it's always comes down to a power dynamic and if you can balance that power dynamic um then you can make it more comfortable for the viewer and just i yeah like we just don't want to feel like a 19 year old girl is getting exploited by a dirty old man and no one feels that way about the 10th structure and rose um and i i feel like if they did yes in the 13th doctor it would just based on her character, because she doesn't... She, the, the 10th Doctor could pull it off because he was old but traumatised. But the 13th Doctor would just... She would feel like... She would feel like a 35-year-old virgin who just got kissed <laughs> for the first time. And, you know, like, that would... The power dynamic would be, like, yes, has fucked before. The Doctor has not fucked oh, for God. 500 no, I years. I would never even thought of it like that. It's so... Com- it's complicated further, though, by the fact that Yaz is canonically 19 or 20 years old and mandip gill is like only three years younger than jodie whittaker like it's i mean no one's believing that yaz is 19 for a start like why did they make that oh, character yeah. that age but um is she really 19 oh, in, yeah, in series she's 11 she's meant like... to be 19 but like how is she 19 like i don't know any i mean i don't know any police officers but i don't know that it's that easy <laughs> to become a police officer at the age of 19 it just seems it just seems like why not make those characters twenty five? You know, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. But I think that complicates it further because we don't have an understanding of what Yaz's relationship history would have been. I think they might go um, down the Yaz's gay or Yaz's bisexual route in series thirteen, though. I I have got to kind of that's what that. they're saying. Mm. That's the rumor. I've I've seen that as a rumor. Yeah, and would, and would that enthrall you or or not? Um. I don't. I just. I don't like Yaz that much. I think I would enjoy it because I like gay things and I like. I like the Doctor and I like Yaz. Okay, but like I feel like Yaz is extremely underdeveloped. And that thing about like the children's TV presenter to me, Yaz feels like a children's TV presenter one hundred percent. Like I, she's I. I don't she doesn't feel dimensional to me at all and part of that is that she had to compete with two other characters who had a storyline happening in her first season and then in her second season the doctor's the one who had a storyline happening and I just feel like at no point I mean there were a few episodes that were Yaz centered but like 
compared to Rose, like oh yeah, I mean, Rose not... got two seasons of like yeah. constant. It was Rose's story for two seasons, and I just I I don't feel like I know Yaz very well. I'm not that excited about Yaz. I mean, it's um, insane when you think that presuming she's going to stay for the entire for the entire length of series thirteen, she'll she'll pretty much be the longest standing new who companion which is just yeah. wild to me yeah i mean probably I, not probably not as many episodes as like clara or amy but like seasons wise and like time in the real yeah. world wise it, i mean yeah. it's just crazy to me yeah and i just don't feel like i know her but yeah i don't know i don't ship it but like i i like seeing the doctor i like the doctor being in love is a beautiful thing and i always no matter who comes into the tardis like the doctor I'll always be able to project onto the Doctor the person that I sort of loved, that that version of the Doctor mm. that I fell in love with. And I want to see the Doctor be happy and I want to see the Doctor in love. And so I, it would bring me joy, but um, I wouldn't say that I ship it. Great. Thank you so much for, for talking to me. It's been great. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is great. Um, where can people find your stuff um, online and where and uh, what's happening for you? And yeah, plug, plug, plug. Um, so you can find me on YouTube. You can find my Doctor Who channel under Rich and Space, and that's Rich spelt with a T, uh, Rich and Space. And then my main channel is called Verily Bitchy. Uh, my real name is Verity Richie, so it is a extremely clever play on words. <laughs> um, so you can find me under Verity Verity Bitchy. Um, yeah. You can also find me on Etsy if you want to buy some some stuff from me. I have I have a a comic, an autobiographical comic. If I, if if me talking about transitioning sounded oh so interesting uh, to you, then God, why am I so cynical about myself? Sorry, <laughs> I hate myself, but please enjoy my content. Um, yeah, like check me out. <laughs> Thanks. Your comic is called Hugged, right? Hugged, yes, yeah. hugged. Great. Well, you can you can follow me on Twitter, everybody, uh, as you know, at Mulling underscore Martian. You can follow uh, the podcast on Twitter, at Galatiopod. You can email me with all of your um, comments and complaints and questions and vitriol um, at Galatiopod at gmail.com. Um, but until oh, next you're time... So, you're so good at your call to action. You're like a professional at call to action. I'm so bad at it. Every I, time, I'm so bad. I mean, I've done it a lot. Um, and I just, yeah. Yeah, it's also pilot now. But yeah, thank you so much for uh, for listening, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Bye. Bye bye.